Okay. Let's, uh, we'll get that PowerPoint presentation up here in a minute. We'll try, won't we, Melinda? If we can't get it, that's all right. Let's start by uh, just a very quick review of what we talked about last week. The church ought to be concerned for the community. That's what we were saying. And we ought to be involved in community service. We'll have to be very selective about that. But we still ought to see our role as serving others. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. Jesus served others. He did more than teach and preach. He came for that reason, but he did more than that. He came to help people, and he demonstrated his compassion in many, many ways. And uh, Throughout this class, we've been saying that our role today should look like Jesus' role, that we are to be conformed to his image, and we are his body on this earth. Uh, on that score, I meant to read this poem to you last week, and I just forgot it, overlooked it. Uh, you've heard it before, I'm sure, but I think it, it really says well what we're trying to say in this class. Christ has no body is the title of this poem. Christ has no body but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands, yours are the feet, yours are the eyes. You are his body. Christ has no body now but yours. And, you know, that, that says what we've been trying to say, is that we are the body of Christ on earth, and our overall mission is the same as Jesus' mission. Uh, so, so we've got a lot of little Jesuses walking around on this planet, so to speak. I mean, we, we do what he did. We are Christ to the world. We talked about the fact that, that uh, the word became flesh. John chapter 1. Jesus. But we are enfleshing the word today. We are enfleshing Jesus. We are the second incarnation of Jesus. Everyone who follows Jesus is, is the second incarnation. We are enfleshing him to our neighbors and to our friends. So whatever he did on earth when he was walking this globe, we are to do as well. Uh, there are some things we can't do, of course, but we take our cue from him. Now today I want to talk about something else, another characteristic of the church of our dreams, and uh, you'll figure it out really quick. I'm not going to spell it out for us till the very end, but you'll, you'll see it right away. And again, uh, let me say that... Uh, I'd like, to, I'd like to talk to you for about 22 minutes, and then uh, I want to give you the opportunity to comment and ask questions and, and uh, talk as well. So, if you raise your hand in the next 21 minutes, uh, don't think I'm being rude if I ignore you. I just, I just want to wait until the end of our class. Okay, let's think about some scriptures. Let's go to the Gospel of Luke. There are about four scriptures in Luke that I want us to think about and consider and from that, we're going to draw a conclusion about the role of the church today and our work today. First, let's go to chapter 4. I think we were here last week. 
But I especially want to look at verse 43. Now, if you remember in Luke 4, Luke is telling us about a busy day in the life of our Lord. A busy day of teaching in the synagogue and healing the sick. Uh, past sunset, they were coming to him and he healed every one of them. And then at daybreak, verse 42, he gets up very early in the morning to spend some alone time with God, his father. And he's interrupted. He's interrupted in that praying, that solitary time with God, his father. He's interrupted. The cr- people are looking for you. I think it's Simon Peter who says that. Mark, Mark's gospel tells us that. And Jesus' reply is verse 43. And that's what I want us to look at. Verse 43, he said to them, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. What is your purpose, Lord? My purpose is to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. Now, let me preface what I want to say on this verse with this idea. You know, the Gospels are not mere biographies, are they? If they are biographies, they are the strangest biographies we've ever seen. Mark doesn't tell us anything about the birth of Jesus. Neither does John. We know very little of his boyhood or childhood. About all we know comes from Luke chapter 2, right? When he, uh, uh, he, uh, he was born and then he went to the temple at the age of 12. Um, these are not mere biographies. They tell us about Jesus' life. But the authors want to use the events of Jesus' life to inform the church of their day. You know, we, we need to study the Gospels on three levels, but most of the time we just study them on two levels. The first level, what did Jesus do and teach? Okay, we study the Gospels on that level, biography level. I want to know more about Jesus. And then we study it on second level, how does that apply to us today? And we definitely need to do that. But we sometimes miss the third level. And that is Luke is trying to say something. Matthew's trying to say something. Mark and John are trying to say something to the churches of their day. So if Luke was written in the middle 60s, which most scholars think it was written in the middle 60s, perhaps after the fall of Jerusalem, after 70. If, it, if Luke was written in the, in the 60s or the 70s, you know, he's doing more than just trying to tell us about the life of Jesus. He wants to say something to the church or churches of his day about the life of Jesus. So in this verse, let's, let's not just think, okay, Luke is telling us that Jesus' mission was to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. No. Why is he telling us that? Why is he telling the Christians of his day that? I know Luke wrote to Theophilus, chapter 1. Who was Theophilus? Well, we're not sure. He may have been a governmental official. He may have been a Christian. He may have been an unbeliever. But whatever Luke writes in in his gospel is is written for the churches. The gospels are written for the churches for the most part. So Luke wants to tell the churches and the Christians of his day that Jesus felt his mission in the world was to proclaim the goodness of the kingdom of God. Why? Because he wants them to see that as their mission as well. This is also your mission if you're a follower of Jesus. And this is how it applies to us today. Our mission is to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. Now, I want to dwell on that and camp out just a little bit on that thought because I think it's worthy. Our mission basically is positive. It's a good news mission. Now, granted, we've got to allow people to see that they're sinners. I mean, they've got to come to grips with that fact before they ever decide to accept the offer of pardon that Jesus offers to them. But basically, our message is good news. 
What is it? The kingdom of God. Now, that's a slippery term in the New Testament, right? What is the kingdom of God? I really like this better, the reign of God. The kingdom of God is the reign of God or the dominion of God. So Jesus came to this world to proclaim the good news of the reign of God. What does that mean? Well, the reign of God. When God reigns in a person's life, you find meaning and purpose. You find security. You find love. You find hope. You find forgiveness. When God reigns in your life, I mean, that's all good news. And those are the basic needs that people have. Security. Meaning. Love. Hope. Forgiveness. All of that comes with the reign of God. That is our message. That is it. That when God reigns in a person's life, life is so much better, so much sweeter. So Luke says, this was Jesus' mission. I came to proclaim, to declare. I'm, I'm just a herald. I, I just came to declare what happens when God reigns in a person's life. Now, by implication, you're going to see that I think that's our mission, too. Let's go to chapter 5. And in chapter 5, we begin uh, some of the criticisms that the Pharisees and scribes and religious leaders lodge against Jesus. Very critical of him. We read about Levi, who decides to follow Jesus when he hears the call, follow me. Verse 29, Levi gives a great banquet. He invites his tax collectors and others and Jesus comes and sits with them and eats with them, associates with them. And then the criticism of the Pharisees, verse 30, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Now, these were considered the riffraff of society, weren't they? You don't associate with these kind of people because they contaminate you, is what the Pharisees thought. And Jesus answers their question in verse 31, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Another statement telling us why Jesus came, what his purpose or mission was. People need me. And I came to help those who are sick. And specifically, I came to call them to change their lives. Here's why I came into the world. Let's go to Luke 15. I can't wait to get here. Same criticism... Verses 1 and 2, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. The Pharisees and scribes just could not get over this. How could Jesus, who was supposed to be a holy man, associate with unholy, sinful people? Now, Jesus tells three stories in chapter 15 to explain verse 2. He's going to explain why he welcomes sinners and eats with them. And he tells three stories to illustrate it. And again, we've got to ask the question, why does Luke include this in his gospel? Besides the fact that the Holy Spirit must be supervising what he includes in his gospel, let's also give Luke some credit here. Because Scripture is both a divine and a human product. God and men are working together to produce Scripture. So why does Luke include this in his gospel? He's not just telling us what Jesus believed. He's telling the church of his day what they should be interested in, what they should be pursuing. All three stories have what in common? Something is lost. A lost sheep, a lost coin, lost sons. What does it mean to be lost? I think we're kind of timid about using that word today. 
I'm not sure, you know, we hesitate to say that anyone is lost today. But basically, if something is lost, it's not where it belongs. It's, it's, it's in a place where it doesn't belong. It's misplaced. And the short of this is that Jesus is trying to tell us in that last story that both of these sons are, are out of place. They're not where they belong. Where do they belong? They belong in their father's home. They, they belong in, in the love and security and safety that they find in their father's family. But one of the sons decides to discard his family and his father and go on to the far country. And the other son stays in his father's home, but his heart is far, far away as well. I mean, they're, they're not in relationship with their father. And that's where they belong. And that's why they are lost. And what Jesus tells us here in these three stories is this is what God's all about. God cares for lost people. People matter to God and lost people matter to God. And Jesus says, so this should explain to you why, why I welcome sinners and eat with them. Because the heart of God is with these people. And I'm with the heart of God. And this is my mission. To associate with them and to befriend them. Now that should tell us something about our mission too. And the last scripture that I want us to go to is chapter 19. And then we've got some conclusions I want to consider with you. 19, we've got the story of Zacchaeus, verses 1 through 10. And of all people, Zacchaeus, of all people, Jesus decides to eat lunch or supper with this tax collector. And that should tell us again something about Jesus. Why are you there, Jesus? Verse 10, because the Son of Man came to seek out and save the lost. This is why I came. Jesus was clear about his mission, wasn't he? He understood his mission. All right. With those four scriptures in mind, I want you to think about maybe some implications of these, and then I'll give you a chance to talk. I've got 11 minutes to say all this. No way. Number one, our mission, the church's mission, is to seek and save the lost. This was our Lord's mission. And if we were to read the book of Acts, by the way, we would see the early disciples carrying out that very same mission. I'm going to make you my witnesses in what? Chapter 1, verse 8. Jerusalem, Samaria... What comes next? Judea and the ends of the earth. And we see Paul and Barnabas. They go to Antioch, not Paul and Barnabas. Christians in Jerusalem are scattered to Antioch. And wherever they go, they are proclaiming the word. The word of the kingdom. It took, them, it took some suffering. took some persecution to get them out of Jerusalem. But they finally left, went to Antioch. And from there, the gospel spreads to all the major centers of the world. We could also spend some time in Matthew 28, but we won't. Number one, the church's mission is to seek and save the lost. Number two, the church's role is to be Christ to the world. Let's repeat that. Our role is to be Christ to the world. We are to serve the needs of others. We're engaged in community service, as we discussed last week. We are Christ's presence in the world, which may mean that we should begin our attempts at sharing Christ with deeds other than words. That may be what we should derive from that. Jesus associated with people. People that the religious leaders didn't expect him to. I think that's something worth thinking about too. As we think about our role. Number three. Although we are called to serve others. Although we are called to befriend them and love them and serve them. That's not enough. It's not enough for us just to do that. The moment must come when they must hear the gospel. 
the moment, the moment must come when they must confront the living Christ. The moment must come when they must decide whether they're going to accept Jesus' offer of pardon. And we need to give people that opportunity. So while we don't serve them to manipulate them to start a Bible study with them, that's not the reason why we serve them. It's not enough to serve them. It's not enough to love and befriend them. We want to share Christ with them. Why? Because their life is going to be so much better when God reigns in their heart. They need to know Christ. Number four, I think we ought to consider that we probably ought to practice an incarnational method of outreach rather than an attractional method of outreach. And let me, let me clarify what I just said. I think in the past, we may have practiced the attractional model of outreach. We thought if we could create this program and get people in our church buildings so they could hear Jeff preach, they no doubt would become Christians. Of course, the world's not rushing to hear anybody's sermons, are they? I mean, they're not rushing to hear our lessons. But we thought if we could just get them in the building and get them involved in this program and that program... They certainly would become Christians. That's the attractional model. We're going to attract you to us by our programs. The incarnational model says, I'm going to go to you. I'm not going to expect you to come to me. I'm going to go to you and serve you and love you and befriend you and get to know you. And be a lighthouse in your life. So that if you're looking for someone who knows God, you have found someone who knows God and I can help you. That's the difference between an attractional model and an incarnational model. And I see Jesus going to people. I mean, he he didn't attract them to some church building or some program. He went to them. He went to the tax collectors and sinners. And he befriended them and he loved them and he cared for them. And what what must they have felt when Jesus was with them? And, And when they knew that Jesus wanted to be their friend, what must they have felt? A love that they'd never known before. I think maybe we ought to consider that model of outreach rather than where we think, well, if we could just get them to come to our building, they'd become Christians. And number five, something I want to say here is that maybe we ought to focus on building relationships with people, building friendships with people, and then in time letting them see Jesus in us. And again, this goes back to the idea of the fact that we are enfleshing Christ We are the body of Christ. So we're going to associate with people that we might, that others might think are undeserving of our association in time. We're going to befriend them. We're we're going to express our sincere interest in them. We're going to to work on developing relationships with people. And by the way, just here, I, I I might convict all of us. I know I convict myself when I say this. How many unbelievers... Do you call your friends? Well, we tend to become very isolated when we become Christians. In my estimation, this is my opinion. I mean, now, now my circle of friends are Christians. Well, it's no wonder the church is not growing because we don't know any unbelievers. We don't have any close friends who are outside of Christ. Maybe you do, and that's great. Last week I mentioned, Jesus said, love your neighbors yourself. What if we were to take that literally? How many of us even know our neighbors? I know the first names of a few of our neighbors, but knowing my, my neighbors? No, I don't know my neighbors. How many of us even have friendships with people who need the Lord? 
Maybe that's where it starts. We, we go to people and love them and get to know them and build friendships with them. And whether or not they become Christians is beside the point. I mean, we're not going to close down our friendship when they decide they don't want to follow Jesus. I mean, we're not trying to manipulate them with our friendship. No. But we're not going to win them to Christ either. And they're not going to become Christians unless they trust us, unless they love us, unless they know us. I mean, make, making cold calls is, that's, that's difficult, isn't it? I mean, how many of you like for a, 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 a religious person to come to your door and knock on your door that you don't even know and try to start a Bible study with yours? I mean, I don't know that that works. There may have been a time when it worked, but I don't know that it does now. We need to be interested in building relationships with people, building friendships with them, whether or not, they've, whether or not they accept our Lord or not. We're going to love you and build a friendship with you. We want to be close to you. We care about you. And that just might be transformational in their lives. Might be. Okay. I think I've said enough there. I had two questions I wanted us to discuss. I've got three and a half minutes left, so I could keep talking. <laughs> but I won't. I'm sure I'll have more to say as you talk as well. But. I had two questions that I really thought about to put on slide for you, and we don't have those, so that's okay. Uh, the questions were, I've heard this, I've heard this. Number one, the church today has turned inward. Have you heard that? I've heard that from several people. The church today has turned inward. I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. Do you think that's true? What's your response to that? And the second question that I wanted us to discuss was, what was it, Carrie? It's not in these notes. Well, it had to do with something. uh, What suggestions would you have for that might help us to become more mission and outreach minded? Something like that. I mean, if we became more evangelistic, uh, more outreach minded, what would we do? What suggestions might we have? The question was something like that. So I want to give you the chance to. Address those questions or anything I've said or ask a question of your own or make a comment. Let me hear from you. Nicole. It does happen. It does happen. Yeah, maybe I shouldn't have been so quick to diss that. I just think for most of us, I don't know, Nicole. It takes love. Yeah. Yeah. Well, God bless you. I'm, I'm grateful for that. I'm, I'm grateful you've seen that in your own life. And I've seen some of that too, but it was more like 25 or 30 years ago. Uh, 
And I don't, I don't know. I, I, I think today, uh, and maybe I shouldn't even be pushing back on you a little bit, but. Well, that's true. But uh, I feel like today we also live in a culture. People, I think there are a lot of people who are resistant to. Do what? There's one that isn't. That's right. No argument there. I'll just hush my mouth and not argue with you. Yeah, you are. It's okay. All right. No, you're exactly right. Some people will be one will, will become followers of Jesus that way, uh, and some won't. Right. Yes. Good. Right. Very, very good. And, and again, in, in defense of Nicole, God has been preparing some people for some time. And then when he places them in our path, they're ready. They're ready to hear the message of good news. Some people take a little bit more cultivation of the soil. But, yeah. You're, you're an evangelistic person, aren't you, Nicole? I do, too. And I'm, and I'm very dissatisfied with myself. You, too? I am, too. Jeff. I think what you just said is actually super important. It's, it's looking at yourself. One of my criticisms of the church today is exactly uh, uh, that. Um, I, I think the church has become too whiny. And here I am whining about it. Um, I, I do think that the modern church is ex- exceptionally whiny. And instead of looking at it, we, we want to look at everybody else. What are y'all doing? What are these people doing? It's personal accountability. Good. Yeah. Yeah, the church is made up of individual Christians, huh? So we, we've got to look at ourselves before we look at one another. Bud? Someone has taken my place on the cross and taken care of that. And so all 
Good. We need to be reminded of that, don't we, bud? On, on a regular basis, especially those of us who have been Christians for a long time. We need, we need that reminder. Chuck? How do we get that reminder, though? It's not by being an inward church and, and being together with brothers and sisters in Christ where we realize the challenges of the world. Although, to be honest with you, the, the church is becoming very, very worldly, fitting in for our culture much too easily. But at any rate, uh, what I really want to get at is the idea that it's only by talking together with non-Christians that we really remember, or maybe not even remember, but realize what the challenges are that the that non-Christians are facing. Because to be honest for myself, I've become so spoiled during the 40 years that I've become a Christian that the best thing for me is to talk seriously and Yes. I'm living in a very different lifestyle and I'm surrounded by very different people than what I was as I was during my non Christian years. Yes. And so, uh, boy, it's an eye opener and things have changed so dramatically and the challenges of the uh, of, of modern non Christians are just uh, overwhelming. Where do you meet those people, Chuck? Good. Yes, sir. Derek? And uh, Shelley? I'll blend, I'll blend both of your questions together um, and answer the first one and say I think we have, I mean, we as, as a church, all churches have turned inward because we're comfortable with that because we were um, familiar with the status quo um, and it, it just feels normal. Uh, and that, that can, we can feel trapped and we can get very comfortable with our past 
You're just a revolutionary, aren't you? Just a, you're not? Those are some radical ideas. Well, it starts with a great idea. Good for you. Yeah. Shelley? Yes. Thank you, Shelley. They're all people are all around us, aren't they? Who who need that that proclamation of the good news of the kingdom. They're all around us. Yes. And, and uh, may I say, too, uh, God is working. Uh, God is working in the lives of people. And, and some are ready to hear the message, and some are not quite there yet. But we can be sure that God is working in their lives to, to help them to see their need of Him. And if, if He would only give us eyes to see those people who are right in front of us, who are desperately seeking the kind of meaning and security and hope that we've been talking about, then that would be a great thing. That's One thing we could do is pray for eyes like that. Angela? I'm convicted by just your reminder that we need to be 
Simple and meaningful. Babe? Good. It is hard to love people and all the messiness of our lives and theirs, but we don't always have to have a program and, and for it to happen. Right. It's just amazing what little people have when they don't have Christ and we pray. Good, hon. Susan? personal 
Yes, good thoughts. Great thoughts. Well, the clock on the wall says it's past time, so we'll close. Thank you for all your wonderful comments and uh, thought-provoking comments. I appreciate it.